0: And you're very welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. It's coming up for three minutes past five. Little hiccup there as I went live. So I'm a couple of minutes late. I hope I've sorted it out. Anywho, it's good to be with you this Tuesday. Do drop me a message through, out of the programme on richieallen.co.uk.
1: Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen. On the world's most popular independent news radio show.
0: It's The Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yes, everything crashed at a minute to five. I saw it happening, which was good. I was able to do something about it. As I said, it's going to be a good program, I think. Uh, Carlsberg doesn't do bombshells but if it did it couldn't beat today's bombshell Virginia Dufresne who was suing the Duke of York alleging that he had sexually abused her on several occasions has settled with him out of court yes we'll be talking about that with Tony Gosling that and much more with Tony this hour and in the second hour I welcome back to this program someone who hasn't been on for years I've known him for many years. Nick Pope ran the British government. He ran the Ministry of Defenses UFO investigation project from 1991 to 1994, researching UFO, alien abductions, phenomena, crop circles, everything you can think of. He's spoken all over the world, on every television network in the world. He's written some brilliant books. And I'm going to have a general chat with Nick in the second hour. I can't wait. I really like Nick Pope. I really do. So he's on with me later on. Before that, you and I will do what we always do. We'll have a bit of a natter. A bit of a natter. What is going on then? What is going on? Around about 25 minutes ago, the BBC reported that Prince Andrew has settled a civil sexual assault case brought against him in the US by Virginia Dufresne. Court documents have been released, but they are pretty brief. In fact, it's only one page. She'd been suing him, saying that he assaulted her when she was 17 on three occasions. He denied it repeatedly. It must be said. Believe what you want. A letter filed to the US District Court today said the Duke and Ms. Dufresne had reached an out-of-court settlement. This is bombshell stuff because Virginia Dufresne had told all and sundry. She had told anyone who would listen over the last couple of years, that she wouldn't settle for any money on planet Earth. That this guy was going to be seen inside a court, civil court. She was going to stare this guy down and demand that he account for what happened to her. But there's been a settlement. There's been a settlement. Let me know what you think. RichieAllen.co.uk I've got some Hollywood Reaction to it for you, some celebrity reaction. Let's hear from the comedian John Lovitz. John, what do you reckon? What what's your take on the settlement between Jufre and, and Prince Andrew?
1: It stinks, it stinks, it stinks.
0: It stinks. What about you, Sylvester Stallone? That's right, it stinks! It stinks! Arnold Schwarzenegger. Come on. Don't bullshit me. Unbelievable. Brian Cox? Fuck off. Fuck off is right. What's going on? Richie Comment live. Let me know. So in this one page explanation from the court, the the letter presented to the to the judge Lewis Kaplan. The letter on behalf of Prince Andrew's, excuse me, the letter sent to the court by Prince Andrew's representatives. I'm breathless here. This is exciting. Is it? Or is it very spooky and sinister? Well, we'll talk about that with Tony in a moment. So Andrew's representatives sent a letter to the court and they said that the Duke would make a substantial donation to Jewfrey's charity in support of victims' rights. The letter said Andrew had never intended to malign... Ms. Dufresne's character, that he recognised she had suffered both as an established victim of abuse and as a result of unfair public attacks. He pledged, did Andrew, to demonstrate his regret for his association with the late convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein by supporting the fight against the evils of sex trafficking and by supporting its victims. He went on to commend the bravery. This is the the Duke of York now. The bravery of Ms Dufresne and other survivors in standing up for themselves and others. Why did she change her mind? Earlier today, it was reported that his legal team had sought the original photograph, that famous photograph, of them pictured together with the With Ghislaine Maxwell in the background, that photograph of a very young, fresh-faced Virginia Roberts with Prince Andrew in 2001, his legal team said they were looking for the original so they could have it examined to see if it was fakery, if it was a fake. Apparently, Virginia Dufresne said she couldn't lay her hands on it or didn't have it in her possession, that was earlier today, and now we have this, what's going on. Did Ma Barker in Buckingham Palace get involved? Did she? Did she? The old dragon? Was pressure brought to bear on Virginia Roberts? Or Virginia Dufresne, as she is now? What do you think, Richie u k. Should leave it there for the moment, really. I can't add anything else to that for the moment, but I know Tony Gosling will have something to say about it. He joins me in around about 15 minutes' time. I will read your comments out, of course, as I go along. You're listening to Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. Yes, the website is difficult to access at the moment because it's getting snowed under with traffic that happens from time to time. So what about Russia then? And Ukraine and the claims by Western governments that an attack on Ukraine by Russia was imminent, that it was only hours or days away. What, what of it? What about it? Well, let's have a look. Let's see what the latest is. The uh, German Chancellor, Scholz, has been meeting with Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, uh, today in, in um In Moscow. That's been going on. Uh, Russia's defence ministry has said that some of the troops, Russian troops that were that had been positioned on the border with Ukraine, they are now returning to their bases after completing their drills. There is some expression of hope that this means the tensions will ease. Uh, but some military exercises are continuing there, apparently. Nobody seems to know just how substantial the Russian withdrawal is. Russia maintains, of course, that it has every right to do what it is doing. Russia says, listen, we were promised back in 1990 that NATO wouldn't move an inch further to the east. Of course, that promise was reneged on. Russia doesn't want Ukraine joining NATO. It says we're fed up of countries joining NATO, being surrounded by missile bases and army bases and navy bases. We don't like it. That's where this originated. Boris Johnson is planning on travelling to Ukraine, I think, in the coming days. So really, there's not much more to tell you about that. But again... We, we we will be discussing it, Tony Gosling and myself, when Tony is with me in a few minutes' time. It's 11 minutes past five. You, of course, feel free to opine on these matters and others through my website, RichieAllen.co.uk. Okie doke Yes, lots of interest in that announcement by Virginia Dufresne that she has settled that civil sex abuse case with Prince Andrew. Okie doke. Uh, Cookie says, why do these people think their money, our money, why do do they think they can buy themselves out of trouble? Well, well, they can. (laughs) That's the reason they can. There's a long history of it, of exceptionally wealthy people committing crimes, doing bad things, and then buying their way out of trouble. So, uh, I suppose, yeah, lovely, okay. Absolutely right. So many comments on that. So many comments. Right. OK, let's move away from those stories. Has Putin played a blinder here? Has he? Now, I'm no supporter of the Russian government, or any government, for that matter. So don't um, read anything into that. But has he played a blinder? We'll we'll come back to it, as I said. Uh, tennis legend Novak Djokovic has broken his silence. He's given an interview to the BBC from his tennis centre in Serbia. He's given an interview. Now, you remember, Djokovic was basically kicked out of Australia one day before the Australian Open tennis tournament in January. He was the defending champion. And he was hoping to win his 21st Grand Slam tennis title. But he was kicked out because he hasn't had a COVID jab. Uh, and sadly for Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, the Spanish tennis legend, who was also... Also on 20 Grand Slam titles, singles titles. He won, didn't he? So he moved on to 21. Djokovic gave an interview to a BBC journalist. Some of it is kind of interesting. You might have heard some of it, you might not. Here he is earlier today. Have you received any vaccination against COVID? I have not. Why?
2: I understand that uh, and support fully uh, the freedom to choose you know, whether you want to get vaccinated or not. And uh, I have not uh, spoken about this before and I have not disclosed my medical record uh, and my vaccination status because uh, I I had the right to keep that private and discreet. But as I see, there's a lot of uh, wrong conclusions and assumptions out there. I think it's important to speak up about that um, and and justify certain things, right? So I... um, I was never against uh, uh, vaccination. I understand that globally, everyone is trying to put a big effort into handling this virus and, and seeing a hopefully a, a, an end soon to this virus. And vaccination is probably the biggest effort that was made. Probably half of the planet was vaccinated. And I fully respect that. But I've always uh, represented and, and always supported uh, the freedom to choose what you put into your body and for me that is essential it's really the principle of of understanding what is right and what is wrong for you and me as an elite professional athlete I've always carefully reviewed assessed everything that comes in from the supplements food the water that I drink or sports drinks anything really that comes into my body as a fuel based on all the Informations that I got, uh, I, I decided not to take the vaccine uh, as of today. So, do you have as of today? Yes, I keep my mind open because we are all we are all trying to find collectively uh, a best possible
0: solution to
2: end COVID.
0: Right. Yeah. Some took that as a kind of an endorsement of the jabs by Djokovic today. I I think Djokovic is just being Djokovic Djokovic. It's being pretty careful about the language he uses. Here's a little bit more of the exchange.
2: I'm uh, unable to travel to most of the tournaments at the moment. And and that's the price you're willing to pay? uh, that, That is the price that I'm willing to pay. Ultimately, are you prepared to forego the chance to be the greatest player that ever picked up a racket, statistically? Because you feel so strongly about this jab? Yes, I do. But as things stand, if this means that you miss the French Open, is that a price you'd be willing to pay? Yes, that is the price that I'm willing to pay. And if it means that you miss Wimbledon this year, again, that's a price you're willing to pay? Yes.
0: Why, Novak? Why? <laughs> because the pr- Why, Novak? Why? Inserting a bit of drama into the proceedings there. The
2: principles of... Uh, decision-making on my body uh, are more important than any title.
0: Fair enough, right? But it was interesting, the reaction today. That was an exclusive for the BBC. The reaction seemed to be universally no sympathy for, for Djokovic. You see a lot of that, or you... I've come across quite a bit of that. The jabbed, you see, it must be terrible to be jabbed. It must be terrible to be jabbed twice or three times, or even four times. And now realise that, well, it was kind of a load of old bollocks. And I was coerced into being jabbed. I was bullied and harassed into being jabbed for something I didn't really need a jab for. And now, as they're, you know, removing, seemingly removing restrictions in the UK, and elsewhere, I reckon some of the jabs, well, they feel a little bit foolish. And because of that, people don't like to feel foolish. They don't like to feel stupid. They often become quite angry in that instance. And they're becoming angry with Djokovic. You know, how dare he? I heard a woman this morning saying, you know, I I got jabbed for, for the good of society. Why shouldn't he? Well, because he's not stupid, love. And he refused to be coerced into having a jab. He's perfectly happy to not be permitted to play Grand Slam tournaments again rather than take an experimental dangerous medicine that, that could do him serious harm. You know, he's not stupid, Djokovic. I, I'm sure, like the rest of us, he has noticed how many athletes around the world in different sports have developed cardiac issues and other issues after having these jabs. He's not dumb, you see whatever else he might be. He's a hard case, Djokovic. I, I don't like him as an athlete. I really admire his success and his determination. But I don't like him. I think he has often stepped on the line, sometimes toe-poked over the line, between between gamesmanship and cheating. He loves a long injury break, does Djokovic, when things are not going well In big matches. That's all I'm saying. But of course on the jab thing, I'm with him. I'm with him entirely. Hey listen, the UK Health Secretary, the utterly ridiculous Sajid Javid, the banker, wanker is another way of putting it, uh, Djokovic, uh, Djokovic, Javid, Sajid Javid. Interestingly enough, he of course had a take... On on Djokovic's interview, uh,
1: what I would actually say is that the the, the reason that you can have you know, again once again you have millions of spectators for sports, including of course uh, tennis, whether it's in Australia or in the future of Wimbledon, is because of the success of vaccination programs. And it's 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 interesting to note really that Mr. Djokovic thinks it's okay for sports spectators, all his fans, to take the vaccine that allows him to get back uh, to play the sport in front of them and earn millions again, it's okay for him to have them take the vaccine but the vaccine is not okay for him. I think he should reflect on his decision.
0: Yeah, you remember that madwoman Lowry Turner, remember, on the Jeremy Vine show a couple of weeks ago, it made us giggle. And
1: I grant them selfish because they. all they're saying is we want more time to see whether the jab's safe so the rest of us, all of us, are the guinea pigs while they decide in some future moment, oh well it's, since you've all had it, now I'll have it. So oh, yeah, it's they're it's looking really at selfish. us to see if we keel over yes, exactly. and then they'll say, oh well we'll <laughs> yes. have it. <laughs> but, <over." Yeah. laughs> but I think we have to staff our hospitals, we have to staff our care homes we, and I, think- I love
0: that, blaming the unjabbed, saying how dare we sit back and, and not have the jab and observe everyone else, I mean I'm not doing that of course, I'll never have the jab I can't get that through to people I met someone of late here in Salford, someone who pretends they're not that interested in the radio show but but I know they're listening all the time It's a, a gentleman who's a bit older than me And he said to me, uh, you know, guys like you, he said, if there was 100% proof the jab was safe, 100% proof that it was safe, and 100% proof it was guaranteed to your satisfaction that it was efficacious, that it worked, would you have it, and could you understand mandating it? And I said no to both, and he couldn't get his head round it. They don't understand, do they, what bodily autonomy, what bodily integrity means. It means the right to say, listen, I and I alone will determine what goes into my body, dipstick. I don't care how safe you prove it to be. Doesn't matter. I won't be having it, and nor should it be mandated. If God came down from heaven, if Jesus stepped off the cross, and I mean, no disrespect to anyone. And said, I tell you what, this is absolutely safe and it works. Will you have it? Will you have it? No! It's over to Brian Cox. Fuck off. Absolutely. No. 100% no. 22 minutes past the. I love that, Brian Cox. I love it. Fuck off. Fantastic. If you haven't seen Succession, watch it five times the first three seasons of it. Maybe season three maybe wasn't as good as season one and two. So Tony Gosling shortly then. You will be opining, no doubt, on Russia, but also on Virginia Dufresne. Talk to me through the website uk. It's comment live at the top of the page. While we get Tony lined up, it's Jamiroquai. Jamiroquai. Jamaraki, here he is. You're listening to The Richie Allen Show. Live from Seoul for the time 22 and a half minutes past five o'clock. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. To- Jamiro Kwai, virtual insanity. Let's go to the comments then. Monk says the BBC reporter was incredibly shocked at the tennis player's answer. It's called integrity. And the BBC clearly doesn't understand that. John says, that's John Fahi Hi, John. He says, Richie, I half expected you to say that Dufresne had been found dead of suicide. And let's face it, what would be said if that was the case? Asks John. Nothing much, I reckon, from the mainstream media. She was told to take the money or else. That's John's opinion. And you might be right, John. But we don't know. On Ukraine, Craig says, so the fear of war with Ukraine is dissipating just as the World Health Organization sparks fear of avian flu. Imagine my shock, says Craig. I've written about that on RichieAllen.co.uk today. The World Health Organization is claiming that uh, bird flu presents a serious threat to human health. In fact, they've referenced it or they've referred to it as a grave threat to human health. We might get into that on this programme later on. If not, we'll do it a little bit uh, later on in the week. Shall we get Tony on? Uh, the man that is Tony Gosling. Can't wait to get his take on the Virginia Jew Frey uh, bombshell. Keep those comments coming in richieallen.co.uk. It's Comment Live on the menu bar, be it on the settlement, be it on Ukraine, be it on anything else. I know as well that later on, you may have comments, you may have questions for Nick Pope, who worked at the Ministry of Defence for some years, uh, investigating UFOs. Now, Tony needs no introduction, former BBC journalist, of course, and hosts the excellent Not the BCFM politics show from Bristol every Friday at five o'clock. That is a must listen. So the bombshell news is Prince Andrew has settled his U.S. civil sex assault case with Virginia Roberts Dufresne, a letter filed to the U.S. District Court today, said the Duke and Dufresne had reached an out-of-court settlement. He has made no other comment. It doesn't look like he will. Tony Gosling, welcome back to the programme. What's going oh, on? He, it's
3: what? almost as if you knew, isn't it? Because you and I have been arguing the toss over Andrew for probably a couple of years
0: now. For a couple of years. Uh, but but that being said, I am absolutely gobsmacked because the lady swore to everyone who would listen that she wouldn't take a, a, a penny, there would be no settlement, and that she would see this gentleman in civil court and he would have to answer for what she said he did to her. What do you think might be really going on here?
3: Well, she was lying, wasn't she? Uh, Anyway... Uh,
0: look, no, the- she wasn't yes, she lying. Was. She,
3: wouldn't, she said she wouldn't take the money. She took the money.
0: Oh, sorry, excuse me. My, I, I owe you an apology. You are quite right. She was lying when she said she wouldn't take the money. I thought you were suggesting she was lying when, when she said he sexually assaulted her because I don't think she is lying about that. But, but but, why? Why give up the opportunity to face this guy? Is there something else going on? Has look, somebody gotten to her?
3: Look, it's just the usual stuff. It's called the filthy Luca. You know, this is, uh, look, OK, so I think what what Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell were running there was a blackmail operation. And they've just done a fantastic job in extorting the biggest gang in the world uh, for however much this is, must be multi-millions. And, of course, it's not going to some charity. It's going to uh, uh, Virginia Gouffray's uh, charity, uh, which is actually basically her tax-exempt slush fund.
0: What do you mean her tax-exempt slush fund?
3: Well, these these charities are used and these foundations are used by everyone from the Carnegies to the Rockefellers to the Wellcome Trust to make sure that they can have big, vast amounts of money. They make excuses about what they're doing is all charitable and they don't pay any tax. That's unfair, Tony.
0: Hang on a second. She's not the Rockefellers. She's not the Wellcome Trust. She's an abuse victim and she's working with um, with charities that support the victims of abuse. I can well imagine that the charity is genuine, that this woman, having having been trafficked herself, would be genuine in her efforts to to support other women and other boys maybe who've been trafficked. You might be being a bit unfair there, T.
3: OK, well, I, you know, I don't agree that she's been sexually abused. That's not been proved in court at all. And I think she was a prostitute if and when, as he probably did, Andrew slept with her. I know
0: you don't mean any of this. You're just trying to get a rise I out do. of me. I do.
3: Yes, I do. I think she was a prostitute. Effectively, you know, when people went to visit the uh, the um, Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, Mossad, son of a Mossad, probably almost certainly still a Mossad agent, and Jeffrey Epstein, who certainly didn't kill himself, uh, whatever happened there, uh, then they were be- they were expected to be able to have sex with their various people that were around and i'm sure virginia guffray was quite well aware of this the only thing is of course this is she was on the, the rage the Platinum jubilee year and the last thing that the queen wants is to have some horrible embarrassing court case. And so you know and, and andrew i would imagine has quietly gone cap in hand to mummy and said look i need a few million mum and we can keep it all out of the courts
0: so you think ma barker down there in buckingham palace has gotten involved <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't Yeah, of course. You know, because this is involves the royal reputation. And uh, you know they would pay any sort of money to keep that. that. That's mainly what their job is these days: is keeping the royal brand clean. And you and know, Andrew was starting to sully it. You Actually, are
0: um, it was- sorry, T. You might very well be right. I couldn't, I can't contradict you because I don't know. There is another theory, though. This
3: is educated guesswork.
0: No, look, look I, 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 and 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 I'm I'm quite happy to 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 endorse that. Yes, absolutely, educated guesswork. There is another theory, though, and that theory is someone has gotten to Frey. And said make this go away now there will be an offer it'll be ridiculous take the offer and go away if you want to see next year maybe
3: look i i don't imagine that is yeah i if if they can pay money and make it go away they'll do it and uh that's uh, it seems what the offer is here uh but i mean i do see andrew still and i know you disagree with me which is fine as a victim here I don't think that there's any real serious problem with him having sex with a 17 year old especially when she's she's a prostitute I personally don't agree with prostitution But you have no but, hang
0: on to you've got no proof whatsoever that this girl was a prostitute this girl was how a many victim other, how she many was underage of
3: uh, Maxwell and Epstein's guests did she sleep well, she with. was
0: groomed did she uh,
3: know uh, what she was doing She's a victim so too. So not lying yes, to all these I, girls. I, I, Hang on, T. I
0: am I am going to shut up and give you plenty of room as I always do. I do not like interrupting. But I've I've heard the testimonies of many of these girls. These girls were groomed, they were seduced and ultimately they were kind of co-opted into doing things they didn't really want to do and it spiralled. I see, I know, you know damn well I'm no virtue signaler. These girls are victims. I see Virginia Dufresne as a victim. She was taken advantage of. And Andrew didn't seem to give a shit how old she was or why she was there, what she was doing with Epstein. A man who Andrew knew was a pederast don't forget okay,
3: that they're both victims uh, the real perpetrators of this crime are the mossad and the the epstein maxwell you know arrangement that they had filming everything by the way uh, yeah. so yes of course she's a victim he's a you find me one prostitute that is not in some way a victim of course they are uh, but this is a setup for blackmailing people and there are a massive list as you know of the people who went on to that aircraft who are also now Watching what's happened to Andrew, knowing that they could be blackmailed too. It's sending out a very powerful message as we run into potential conflict. I would say the real big biggie is the Middle East between Iran and Israel, who know that Israel holds all the cards and can blackmail them to do pretty much whatever they want. That's, I think, what, what Epstein and Maxwell are up to.
0: OK, before we talk about Ukraine and stuff like that, um, this guy has form. It was reported in the Sunday newspapers just just Sunday gone that a former massage therapist who, who massaged him said said you know, ba- basically said that this guy was a dirty bastard. Let me read this. She said that this guy made sure he was always naked when she massaged him. And if you've got children listening here, now's a good time to turn it down for a couple of seconds. So you're talking about Andrew here? yeah? Andrew, yeah. So he had massages from this woman, Emma Grunbaum. Nobody denies this. And when she'd massaged him, he made sure he was always naked. He tried to hug her after the sessions and wait for it. He asked her if she takes it up the arse. This guy's a scumbag.
3: So are there recordings of this? Did Andrew murder his wife? Did Andrew support the um, child molesting Bishop of Gloucester with writing letters to try and make sure he didn't get prosecuted. Oh no. That's
0: Prince Charles. Oh not no. Prince Andrew. I, listen, I, but, but but you're going ad hominem on me now, T. I well, I, know. I well you're go, you're going ad hominem. It's I I, I, I have no problem with you saying that. Charles is an absolute bastard. And and is he worse than than Andrew probably. No yes, doubt about it. But is. they're a rotten bunch of bastards these people. How could you be a royalist?
3: Well, look, uh, I wouldn't say I am necessarily a royalist. I think it all depends on who's in charge. Now, obviously, the deep state is in charge. The media is in charge. These people that are put forward as leaders aren't necessarily really in charge at all. Yeah. I think, you know, actually, I think the Queen Elizabeth pretty much is in charge because she's got the 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 uh, I think the morals to kind of keep keep in charge and also the wealth to make sure she stays in charge. I think she's got a lot of power, obviously a lot of wealth as well. But, uh, you know, Andrew, I think his com- crimes by sleeping with a uh, 17-year-old who knew exactly what she was doing and why she was doing it is a much, much more uh, a minor offence compared to the various crimes over the years. The most recent that Charles has been up to uh, is taking money to give people um, honours, isn't it? I think, uh, was it? Uh, I can't remember exactly what honour it was he gave to some uh, Arab recently yeah, who paid yeah, a load yeah. of money Sunday to score one of his houses. You know, yeah. all these things are far deeper corruption, I think. And the other thing is, Charles is very good. He's got a massive PR operation at keeping a lot of this stuff out of the press. And if it does appear in the press, sending threatening legal letters, so you finding articles disappearing. And of course, Charles is the one who's supposed to be taking over, and he was involved even if it's just giving a nod and a wink to the murder of Diana, which I think is a far, far greater crime than sleeping with Virginia Dufresne.
0: Fair enough. We're going to agree to disagree on that. There'll there'll be plenty of people listening to this who will see things as you see them. Very briefly, before we... I can't wait to get your take on what's happening in, in, in Ukraine. A very interesting comment today by Lisa Bloom, who's done a lot of television lately. She's representing some of Epstein's other accusers. Epstein is dead now, of course, we we know that. But Lisa Bloom said, wait for it, she said, um, We hail Virginia's victory today. She has accomplished what no one else could, getting Prince Andrew to stop his nonsense and side with sexual abuse victims. We salute Virginia's stunning courage. Now, that is an amazing choice of words there. Lisa Bloom is basically saying that this was all about getting Prince Andrew to side with sexual abuse victims. She hasn't said congratulations to Virginia Dufresne. She's forced this guy, this this sex fiend, to, to settle. She said um, she's done well to get him to side with sexual abuse victims. That's very weird, isn't it?
3: It is a bit weird. Yeah. And I th- I do think Andrew probably did care how old she was. There was that amazing photograph of Andrew and Epstein walking in the park. And you know what? It's almost the look in Andrew's face and the, the, and the slight sort of smirk on Epstein's face. It's like Andrew is saying to him, well, how old was that girl exactly? You told me she was X amount, you know. And I think he was worried that she was underage, uh, Victoria, and that he'd been lied to about her age, either by her or by somebody else. So, uh, you know, I see both of these two, and and there's a massive list of people who were victims of this honey trap situation with, with Epstein and Maxwell. And, of course, the real question here is, who is doing what now, signing what bits of paper on that list to make sure that their name stays out of the headlines and that their photographs with whoever it happens to be underage girls or boys whoever it happens to be stays out of the newspapers because i think they they're running a a, a war a warfare blackmail operation which is helping all sorts of characters around the world uh to comes to up uh, basically supporting israel in the, in the various middle east conflicts particularly you know between the israelis and iran and and i do see that as a, a the most dangerous place in the world, really. I think all this stuff about Ukraine is just, I mean, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Almost all since Christmas. It's just, I mean, it's off the scale propaganda. I mean, really, uh, it, and, and there's very little parody of it either because it is. There's none. Before excellent. before
0: we come to that, interesting take there on the Duke of York's facial expression in the photograph with Jew Frey. Let me just make a note T. I need to add. I need to add to your ever impressive, your ever growing oh, list of on. skills, photographic body language analysis. If I ever need somebody <laughs> to do that in the future, I got to call Tony Gosling. Give over. Now, now listen, Tony Gosling is our guest, folks. Thisweek.org.uk is one of the best radio programs in the country. Every Friday at five o'clock, check it out in Bristol. Not the BCFM Politics Show. Well, 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 we've been told for 10 days by the ridiculous Liz Truss, by the even more ridiculous Prime Minister, that uh, an invasion of Ukraine by Russian troops is imminent. It's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to be 20 past 3. It'll be Wednesday. It'll be Thursday. It doesn't look like it is going to happen. Uh, Putin has moved some forces away from the border, said the drills are over. They're going back. The, the The Foreign Ministry spokeswoman, who is always good value, I can't remember her name, she said the West is humiliated. There won't be any invasion. Has the Russian government played a blinder here, do you think?
3: Well, look, I mean, it's, this is it really pains me to see the, particularly the BBC coverage of this for this organisation that I used to be part of back in the 1990s uh, to nineties—to—to be just doing this ladling out this ridiculous propaganda about Ukraine. I think the reason for it is you is let's look at what may happen as a result of all of this. So obviously more sanctions against Russia. Well, they're even today talking about more sanctions against Russia, even though they haven't invaded. So the idea is you load a load of so-called you know, bad things that the Russians have done, even though they haven't done them. And then you say, oh, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to have some more sanctions on them. Uh, that might include, for example, booting out Russian journalists. Did you see uh, RT? booted out of germany yeah i mean i think most of this is about actually is about trying to spoil the relationship between the germans and the russians uh, because if we start getting that nord stream 2 gas into europe that will spread right across the continent down to spain up here to the uk and suddenly there won't be a gas price problem a gas price crisis so the last thing the americans want because they're they're the ones behind this they've been selling more of their uh, lng in tankers to china liquid natural gas and and um the idea really is to make the bring the, the 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 price of gas up particularly also obviously oil prices so they these energy cartels in the west have been trying to control these prices for years but i think that's that's one of the things that this is about but the other thing is i think that they may well want to uh, move troops into ukraine nato i'm talking about here stoltenberg uh, and nato uh, have relished this whole thing for years and years i was just looking at um, the 1990 speech by james baker i think it was the u.s uh, secretary of state at the time he was yeah. promising that they will not move one inch uh, towards the russian border through eastern europe well of course they've moved hundreds of miles not one inch and then they want to get i mean actually ukraine is the state which is the closest to moscow so that's what i think this may be well be about uh, even though they're not in nato uh, to be uh, moving Western troops, American British troops. Uh, I doubt the French and Germans will want to get involved, but they may do, into Ukraine. Um, and so you know, that, this is providing, I think, a cover for them to do something much more sinister, which is a sort of NATO membership by proxy of Ukraine. And the big problem there as was pointed out on our show by weapons inspector Scott Ritter from the Iraq war is that actually NATO cannot officially, uh, sorry, Ukraine cannot officially join NATO because they have a, a territorial border dispute within their country, which is effectively a kind of a civil war. They are not allowed to join NATO by the NATO charter because it would immediately mean that if they did join that America and Britain and France and Germany, the rest of the NATO countries would be at war uh, with the Donbass and and um, um, the well, the, you know, the separatist area in the in the southeast of of Ukraine. So this may just be a way of getting round this whole business of uh, them not joining NATO and saying, well, we're going to stick some troops anyway. And of course, if they do send troops in there, did you know they've got these new hypersonic cruise missiles? You know, I don't know if you remember the 1980s. We had all the fuss about Greenham Common because the Americans were bringing in these. Uh, these portable, movable, vehicle-based ballistic missiles that could strike Russia from Britain, Uh, well, they were a complete disaster because they just turned us into a massive nuclear weapons target. We don't want to be a nuclear weapons target, thank you very much. And so there was a big fuss, and eventually they were kicked out. Now they're bringing these new, uh, apparently, into Eastern Europe this year, hypersonic, portable, mobile uh, ballistic missiles but from, from the Americans. And if they park those on the Ukrainian-Russian border, I would suggest it's almost certain that Putin would just destroy them. Do you think so? Can I, can, I ask you, can I ask you a question they're too on... Close. They're too close to Moscow. They are
0: too close to Moscow. But there's another way of looking at this. So you have the encroachment east eastwards. Which, which you know, after 1990, you're quite right to mention Baker, Gorbachev took it back to the Russian people. Everyone was happy or everyone pretended to be happy, as it were, at the time. I look at it and I think, yes, of course, it's outrageous that NATO would sign up, you know, Eastern European countries and put bases army bases, naval bases, fighter jets around the Russian border. Although NATO says we're, we, we, we only have one-sixteenth coverage around uh, around Russia or something like that. But I think, what does it matter anyway in the nuclear age? What difference does it make? You know, in, 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 in the times we live in, all of these countries, well, not all of them, but the big players are are, are nuclear countries. They've got nuclear weapons that can be fired from lots and lots of different locations. So... This is going to sound very silly, but I'll say it anyway. A lot of this seems to be much ado about nothing. You know what I mean? If I was Putin, I'd be like, well, really, I couldn't give a shit, really. Put your bases anywhere you want, you know, because if it ever comes to it, apparently Russia, Russian, Russia's nuclear weapons are far more advanced. I think I read that in the Times, Tony. They're, they're far more advanced and ready Systems ready than those in the West. Did you read that as well? It seems Look,
3: I didn't read. I didn't read it in the Times. But you're absolutely right. They are. They are the, the right. Rus- all the Russian weapons, pretty much, and the r- Russian readiness yeah. for war, is far, far better. They're 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 better prepared for nuclear war. But the trouble with moving any any of these kind of hypersonic weapons close to, I mean, the main places would be possibly Romania and Poland close to Russia. Is the is the amount of time that, that that a hypersonic nuclear armed ballistic missile takes to get to Moscow is so short that it wouldn't necessarily enable the Russians to hit back. So this is this would counteract the whole idea of mutually assured destruction. Right. The idea that is that they won't fire at Russia. They won't bomb Russia because they know that nu- Russia will nuke them back. Now, if they get too close, then that isn't necessarily going to be possible. So that's why they're so nervous about this. You know, it's basically a Cuban missile crisis on steroids because we're talking about hypersonic speeds, much quicker than the you know the nineteen style yeah. style uh, ballistic missiles. Uh, and it's a it's a Cuban missile crisis in basically in reverse. So. They, they, th- that's, I think, what, you know, what may be behind this. I mean, it's impossible to judge. A lot of this is, of course, diplomatic, secret stuff. But the idea that there may even be a false flag, you know, in other words, some sort of a- attack by the West on itself, blamed on Russia. Did you fall saying, down oh, look, laughing? Oh, look that- They've invaded. You know, now I'm amazed to hear over the last couple of weeks. Talk about false flag yes. operations. <laughs> I thought I thought this was supposed to be the realm of conspiracy yes. theory. No, case. As anyone that looks into the beginning of the Second World War, that the German invasion of Poland will find that was a false flag incident. The Germans kidnapped a whole bunch of uh, uh, Polish uh, and then shot them shot them dead. I think actually they gave them lethal injections and then photographed them saying, oh, look, the Polish have invaded I've Germany. I've read that too. Yeah. And in fact, that was reported right around the world, including yeah. in the New York Times. Oh, look, isn't it terrible? And the next day the Germans invaded them. So that was another, these false flag operations and Julian Assange was completely right that the only way that these wars can get started is through lies. And his job and my job and your job and any decent journalist's job is to, Name and shame those liars and those lies before a war is allowed to start.
0: I was going to ask you before you brought it up, did you fall off your stool or chair laughing when you heard Liz Truss say that we suspect the Russians will do a false flag, they'll make it look like they were attacked by Ukrainians because I, I nearly choked, I laughed so hard at that, you know, the cheek of these people. They've been doing it for centuries and and even this government, uh, you know, I don't. we talk about Libya, the lies about Libya, you know, um, Tony Gosling is our guest. Just to finish on this, then, T, on this subject for for the moment, you don't expect, then, the Russians to invade Ukraine, at least not in, you know, in the short term.
3: You know what? The funniest, it would be lovely to do a sort of comedy turn on this, wouldn't it? The funniest aspect of all of this is poor old Zelensky, the guy that played... Uh, a president on TV, you know, is now the real president, a bit like Racer <laughs> or something. Right. He's saying, no, can you stop talking about a war? Stop. Because all of the international investors are starting to pull out of Ukraine. That's right. Stop it, stop it. Stop it, he's saying. But of course, that isn't reported here. You know, very, very little. And and I would, you know, every night now, I'm switching on RT because I'm wondering, uh, you know, how much longer are we going to be, uh, you know, how long is it going to be before John Burt and his company that runs Utelsat or one of these other big, you know distribution or free viewer or offcom are going to ban them because they 've been doing a fantastic job in taking a lot of this stuff down um with i think a sort of half russian half uh english woman young woman reporter doing a terrific job on pulling it all apart and actually poking fun at some of the ridiculous stuff it's it, i mean it 's almost not the nine o 'clock news if it wasn 't so you know <laughs> ridiculous you know that the the actual Fact is that, of course, the Russians have got 100,000 or so troops near the border because we keep threatening that there's going to be some sort of war going on there. That's the reason why. That's why uh, they're doing. And it. Uh, they are quite within their rights to have troops within their own borders. And if we were to stop the rhetoric, then maybe those troops would just
0: pack up their bags and go home. And some of them have, but 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 as as to how many have withdrawn and finished up their exercises, we don't know. Tony Gosling is our guest. Uh, the 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 politics show, not the BCFM politics show, Fridays, five o'clock this Brilliantly produced programme. Always interesting. Check it out. Now COVID. The government is going to announce the end of free lateral flow tests for people. And I I opined today and I'm probably wrong, but I thought I'd put it out there, that might be the end of what some of us call the scamdemic. Because if people are not prepared to pay for COVID tests because the cost of living is spiralling and people are squeezed ever more uh, as as the days and weeks go by, um, that's the end of it, isn't it? I mean, if people are not taking these tests, the news media the mainstream media can't report every day or oh, there's been another 10,000 cases. So uh, what do you make of that the free covid tests going what's likely to happen there? I don't think people will buy them, will they?
3: No, look. Uh look, there are some people who have bought into this, like there are some people that obsessively clean their houses constantly, you know. Uh look, I I mean it, yes, it's, it's it's it was over long ago actually um but i'm glad to see that the brits well the english anyway have been leading the way out of this it seems um i mean you know just last week i was over in wales um looking over there you know everyone is supposed to be wearing um face masks on the public transport still in wales i don't know if they are still this week but they certainly were uh at the beginning of last week when i was over there nobody not a single person on the bus had a and it was about three quarters full neither the driver had uh face masks on
0: brilliant. i think
3: you know the, uh, the the mask has slipped if you want you know this is the uh the end and and slowly but surely of course people are realizing that that you know they know people who maybe have lost loved ones i just found out about another friend of mine or i say a friend he was a contact uh you know he was a brilliant um uh jeff i knew him yeah i can't recall his second name right away but he was a nuclear scientist he worked his way into doing all sorts of proposals about uh, molten salt reactors and he got some grants off the british government to do research into this uh, i mean he i just found out the other day from his wife that he died just after having the vaccine no you know no he was reasonably healthy certainly fit and who knows maybe there might be an outside chance it was just pure coincidence he died of a heart attack he just keeled over uh, a, a few days after having the vaccine. Not enough time, by the way, to the vaccine to be counted in as Parvi's death, because you've got to have had it for a, a week or so uh, before it can be be counted. As, who said you know, that anyway. now, my
0: friend? Who 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 has determined that the vaccines can only be considered a possible uh, as possible causality if they've been if it's been a week after? Who, who said that? Well,
3: look, this is part of the, I think, really silly agenda where you cannot officially said to have been had the vaccine until you've had it for a week or so. And it's properly started to work. So, for example, on your vaccine passport, it doesn't count as a vaccine at all until at this certain period after you've had it. Anyway, you know, I've come across so many people, including my own aunt, who uh, died after having the vaccines, not after having COVID. I do have an, an elderly friend who died back in January 2020. Uh, almost certainly from COVID itself. So both are killers. I think COVID, particularly of the elderly and people who are mistreated as if it's pneumonia, when it's not, it's SARS, and they need a bit of chloroquine or, or ivermectin, and they weren't given any of that by our wonderful health service, uh, th- Then, and also, of course, the vaccines. And the trouble with the vaccines is we have no idea right on into old age how long this genetic sequence inside our bodies will 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 sit in there doing nothing until it, you start protein, to get an yeah. aids like autoimmune disease so to me that the, the, the jokovic is right that the vaccine could easily be far far worse for people particularly people of his age uh, than than uh, catching covid so uh, it's great to see i just hope he wins wimbledon i'll be riveted actually this year for the first time for a long time
0: yes he's the only man in the top 100 tennis players in the world that Hasn't had a jab. At least that's what's been reported today. Let me read a couple of quick comments. Uh, Neil says, it isn't the end of the COVID thing. I still can't go abroad, says Neil, at least to certain countries anyway. Clifton is listening to this in Waterford. He says, Tony Gosling is an excellent guest. Very clever man, says Clifton. This is all all these comments on my website. Don't get excited. There's some dissenters as well, T. There's some dissenters. Uh, Joe says, according to the Duran the Nord Stream pipeline has been knocked on the head. I might have heard something on Sky about that today. William says the Ukraine crisis is clearly a huge distraction. I think Tony might have some sympathy with your opinion there. William, will hear from him in a moment. Massive amount of comments coming in here. Scottish Al says, if Prince Andrew was totally innocent of any wrongdoing, he should be trying to clear his name and prove that the allegations are untrue in court. Al, the burden of proof, my friend, isn't as high in, in a civil case as it is in a criminal court, so I have no time for Andrew, but uh, I could understand In some instances, why somebody would settle out of court. Civil cases, 51% is the burden of proof, and that's not good, is it? I wouldn't take those odds myself. Um, Loads of comments, T, on this, on Andrew. Dolores says Andrew sold his chalet for 10 million for this case settlement. Maybe it's not the Queen stumping up.
3: Well, maybe, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe the figure is ten million by some amazing coincidence. In which case, <laughs> yes, right. Virginia is uh, quid's in, isn't she? Absolutely. Faisal
0: Faisal says, "I'll put this to you: Andrew supported a known pimp from the beginning, and at some point knew full well he was involved in underage pimping and abuse. Even if he had been honey trapped, Andrew had been honey trapped and blackmailed. He should have vindicated himself by fessing up and facing the music," says Faisal. There you are, T. He must have known. He knew he was a pedophile and he went and met him in New York. I mean, I know, I've known you for years. And once we've never met, but we're mates. We've spent a lot of time on radio together, even though we've never physically met. Please, God, that will change. And I can buy you a much overdue beer. I'd be delighted to have a beer with my mate, T. But here's the thing, Tony. I know that you wouldn't go back to a pal that had been convicted of child abuse. You wouldn't. You'd give him the... You know, you'd give him a wide berth, but to to say the least, I know that about you. So what's he doing, associating with known pedophiles?
3: Well, look, I mean, I don't know if that's true. I mean, you know, I, I associate with all sorts of people. I wouldn't necessarily want to be their friend, but I would, you know, actually be concerned about how they were, especially if they'd been convicted. And like someone like Andrew had their name dragged through the mud on the international press, I actually, I know it might sound silly. I love everyone, you know. And the fact that someone has committed a crime doesn't mean to say, and, you know, and of course that, you know, who knows what reasons might be behind that? There's lots of people who have committed crimes. Maybe you have, Richie. Maybe I have. I certainly don't. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, want to be associated with something. But that doesn't mean to say that I wouldn't go back to somebody who I thought had had a terrific time, made some terrible mistakes. Uh, Because I think where there's life, there's hope. And I think you've always got to have love at the bottom of relationships. It doesn't mean to say that you should be stupid and and pat someone on the back for committing a crime. But we're all human. We all make
0: mistakes. To err is to be human, is what you're saying. I know, but some mistakes are greater than others. And that's one. It's an interesting one. Before we part company today, I did a show on, on Talk Radio Europe years ago i i had i I had been left down by a guest. it wasn't you, you always turned up. I'd been left down by a guest, and I decided i- well, I never minded that anyway. I'd have a good you know a good rant about something and I decided I would poke the listeners and I asked them about forgiveness and time served. You know this idea that if you've if you've served your sentence, you've paid your debt to society and therefore you should be given a clean slate, and people should. If not open their arms to you, they should let you get on with your life. That seems to be true when it comes to everything except child abuse. Everything else.
3: I wouldn't say a clean slate, no, because I think, you know, these things need to be recorded. If someone is a proven criminal in a certain particular area, I think that should stay with them for life, actually, because, you know, say, for example, if I was employing somebody that had already been a fraudster, you know, I would want to know that. And and I probably wouldn't give them a job if it involved, you know, some sort of responsibility for money. Uh, but ha- having said that, I think, you know, there is room for everybody to, you know, make 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 their way back to the proper world, the real world, the normal world, and actually to... You know, repent isn't what it's about. It's to sort of sort of refl- reflect with yourself, look in the mirror and say, well, actually, that was a really stupid thing to do. And I think, you know, ever since we were kids, we were doing things, silly things and, and looking at ourselves and saying, hang on, that's the wrong thing to do. And you can the only person that can change you, Richie, is you yourself.
0: Tony, it's always brilliant to have you on, mate. Thanks for, um, for those thoughts. Fridays, five o'clock, not the BCFM politics show. For more on it, go to thisweek.org.uk. Also can check out buildable.org. Can buildable. I just have a org. final
3: word, Richie, which is about Ukraine. It's about NATO, because I think we need to understand this isn't just Britain. It's not just America. It is this pernicious Brussels-based organisation with a building shaped, if you look at it from above, as the SS. It actually has these two zig runes. SS, zig. Runes, And I would suggest NATO is exactly what the Nazis were at, uh, in the 1930s. Uh, we had loads and loads of these SS people come over to the United States, not so many to Britain, uh, integrated into the CIA by Alan Dulles. Uh, and I did a book about this, as you may know, which is looking at the British involvement. Uh, it's called The Traitors of Arnhem. And it's about the reasons why the Battle of Arnhem was such a disaster. And so many British soldiers were killed. Uh, and it looks at the links between the uh, treasurer to Adolf Hitler, Martin Bormann, uh, and his private secretary, as well as uh, links in from him directly to Desmond Morton, who was Winston Churchill's private secretary. And I believe that the British used some commandos from the Haling Island to bring Borman out right at the very end of the Second World War under the noses of the Russians. So they had all the signatures to the Nazi bank accounts at the end of the war. And they used that money to set up a Fourth Reich. Now, the most, I think, amazing thing about this is that Ian Fleming was involved in this operation. Amazingly enough, yeah. Yeah. And so after the war, Fleming knew he couldn't write about this because it was all top secret. But he started getting it out of his system by writing the Bond novels, and I think it's just an amazing story that led to that, and it's so lovely to be a part of getting the facts out, I think, to the public long after these events have have taken place. It's a terrific
0: read, The Traitors of Arnhem. Go and look for it online. Find it on Tony's website, Bilderberg.org, and thisweek.org.uk, The Traitors of Arnhem. Until next time, T, thanks again. God bless Richie, thank you. You're very welcome, pal. Thank you. Bye for now. Tony Gosling live on Tuesday's Richie Allen radio show. The time is coming up for four minutes past six, so it is. Back with your comments in a few minutes. Nick Pope, then, live from California, shortly. Don't want to miss that. This program's flying by. This is Baccarat. Classic bit of disco here. Song called Yes Sir. I can boogie. I can boogie. I can yes, sir, I can boogie from back around on the Richie Allen Show. Ah, the Richie Allen Show, eh? Eh? Oh, God. Oh, God! Jean-Anne made me laugh. She, she, she talked about how when she lived in London there were public announcements and details about how to deal with nuclear fallout in the event that you would have a nuclear attack. And jean wrote about this in the national press at the time and it must have been hysterical. I remember when September the 11th happened. Weeks afterwards, the Irish government decided it would get iodine tablets to every household in the country. <laughs> in case Osama bin Laden and his band of merry men were somehow to get their hands on on on, an, on a nuclear warhead. Now, 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 not only, no, hang on a second, not just that Osama bin Laden would get a hold of a nuclear warhead, but that, just for the hell of it, he'd drop it on Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> right? So there was iodine tablets. And of course, the Irish government, being the Irish government, the bunch of scurrilous lawyers that they always have been, they didn't have any real intention of rolling out this iodine tablet plan, and they ballsed it up. And I remember covering for my presenter at FM in Waterford. My presenter, Billy, was away in Italy on holiday, and I was presenting. And a guy called Martin Cullen, politician from Waterford, who was one time environment minister in, in Ireland, and I think minister for Sport, I think, I can't remember. Awful, awful, awful man. I couldn't stand him. I didn't like most of the politicians I interviewed. Not all, but most. But I despised him. And he was a minister at the time, and he came into the studio for an interview. Not about anything in particular, right? And he says to me, the idiot, he says, don't bring up the iodine tablets thing. Of course I did. And I roundly mocked him. I mocked the bejesus out of him. The little Baxter. I hated Cullen. I don't know what became of him, but what a horrible little man he was! You can tell, can't you? I really, really hated him. Waterford listeners will know exactly who Martin Cullen is or was. Is he still alive? Is he? I'm sure he is. Okay, then it's approaching ten minutes past the hour. I'm going to give. Uh, I'm going to get my next guest on. Now, my next guest is someone I'm very fond of. Because when I presented a nightly radio programme on the Costa del Sol in Marbella back in 2009, 2010, 2011, around about that time, he was exceptionally kind to me, not just to me, but another presenter there called Steve, and he gave us loads of his time. And when he came on my radio programmes... Uh, There was enormous interest in it. A gregarious guy, brilliant public speaker. Uh, He, at one time, worked for the UK Ministry of Defence, looking into reports of UFO sightings, alien abductions and other very strange phenomena. He did that for, for several years. Um, the media gave him a nickname. They called him The Real Fox Moulder. He's uh, gone on to, to talk all over the world on this subject, to research it, to write about it. He's written some fascinating books, really interesting books, very, very, very good books that you can check out on his website. I'll give you his website details a little bit later on if you don't have them. Like I said, consulted on films, on TV shows, even on video games. Uh, Always in demand, living in the US these days, but uh, splitting his time uh, between San Jose and Tucson. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome back to the programme an old friend, the one and only Mr Nick Pope. Welcome back, Nick. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for the kind introduction and very nice to
1: reconnect with you.
0: Uh, give over. Those, those nightly radio shows in Spain, you won't have known this because you were either in the UK or you were in the States at the time. But the interest was phenomenal. Like we'd get hundreds of phone calls from people. A lot of expats who, you know, would sit out of an evening in Spain where the skies were clear and the stars were visible. Would sometimes talk about things they themselves believed they had seen. And you were brilliant and kind and patient with people. And and I always love those programmes, Nick. Do you know what I was thinking today about you? I was thinking, it it can't be easy these days in a world to talk about, you know, whether UFOs are a real phenomenon or whether they are not, whether it's military aircraft, Chinese, Russian, American or otherwise. It can't be so easy these days in a world that has become more and more and more polarised through social media, for example, where everything is binary choice. Like Nick Pope must say, yes, this is true or no, it isn't true. There's no room anymore for for leaving some room for doubt and for I don't know. Do you find that in this kind of polarised world we live in these days?
1: I do find that. And, and it's a very interesting point because I think far too often that the truth is much more subtle and complex and nuanced than people realize across a whole range of issues, of course, not just UFOs. I mean, I think, you're, but you're right. With UFOs, you do see this binary polarized, it's either all true or it's all rubbish. And it's either we are being visited by extraterrestrials or the whole thing is misidentification, delusion or hoax. And yet, as we saw last year, The Office of the Director of National Intelligence in the United States produced an assessment on this. They did a proper assessment of the UFO phenomenon. And they weren't afraid to say, we don't know. They weren't afraid to say, look, there are probably multiple things going on here. It's one of the great ironies. People in the UFO community, skeptics or believers, they have this sort of finger-wagging certainty about it. Those of us who've looked at it from within the system, we are not afraid to say, I don't know, from time to time.
0: Fantastic. I watched a lovely interview you gave to uh, Michael Shermer. It's a lovely, I love long-form interviews. And you, you touched on some fascinating things there. One of the things you talked about, I hadn't considered, Nick. The, the question, two questions, are they out there? And have we been visited? Now, I've never made a distinction between those questions. But listening to you and Michael talking, I should have done, because it's really important to separate those two things out, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. And uh, there are an increasing number of scientists who believe that the universe is probably teeming with life, including um, other civilizations. But, But they still say that light speed is an absolute barrier. They don't believe in any of the workarounds like warp drive or wormholes. And, and so therefore they they live in this interesting world, these scientists, where they think there, there's life out there, but that we'll never meet it. We might perhaps pick up a, a radio signal from a civilization, but they think light speed is, is just something that we can never cross. I'm not sure I agree, but yeah, the distinction is important. Uh, it's perfectly possible to believe that that there's life out there and still be a complete skeptic about UFOs and in terms of alien visitation.
0: You've been saying something for some time too which fascinates me. I have considered it but I've not thought too much about it. The possibility that more advanced life or or a more advanced civilization might not be biological. In fact it might be machine in in its makeup in in its biology, for want of a better way of putting it. And that might, you know, explain if some of the sightings are, are genuine and if visitation is genuine, that might explain that, you know, if, if there were machines, long distances and, uh, you, you know, even travelling for hundreds or thousands of years wouldn't be a problem. That's really interesting to me, that.
1: Yes, the, uh, I mean, the phrase that is often used with this is is the the post biological universe the idea that that life arises and then evolves as biological but just as we are beginning to experiment with with you know things things like implants um neural chips those those sorts of things you read read a lot about some of the the things that that people like Elon Musk and and some of the other uh, tech entrepreneurs are doing and, and you think how long how how long away we've come in such a short time you think you think back to the sort of code breaking of people like alan Turing in the second world war and, and then those clunky post-war computers in the 50s and now we've all got these amazing sort of handheld devices with with chips and processing power that's that's more than the processing power of every computer that went into for example uh, Apollo 11 and, and you think what about what about civilizations that might be out there with with a million or a billion years? head start on us in terms of technological advance where might they be what might they have evolved into and yeah the answer is perhaps there's been some sort of synthesis of biological you know man and machine but uh, you know extraterrestrial life has has perfected this and and i don't know downloaded its consciousness into a sort of supercomputer Um, created the the perfect sort of immortal, robot, indestructible. Um, You you know, the possibilities are endless. Are endless, right. And quite scary.
0: And scary. I love that you you, you put out there the idea, you know, so advanced to download consciousness into machines, maybe millions of years in the future, maybe not millions of years. And that kind of ties in neatly with some of the things I talk about sometimes on this programme, which is, Transhumanism, and we might have touched on this years ago on on some of the the, the, the spanish uh, shows, but there is definitely a movement you know or, or there are movements around the world people are looking at doing that. Of you know, p- 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 getting us into metaverses and stuff like that. Um Musk is working on chips that will, you know, sit on the surface of the brain and will allow people to down allow people to download stuff on the internet straight into their uh, their 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 minds. So who's to say that 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 Rich Terrell, who you'll know well, the, the NASA guy, who's been on this program, who's to say that he's not wrong when he thinks that maybe some of the things we see in our sky. If if they are genuine encounters genuinely non-human, maybe they might be future versions of ourselves, Nick. I, I love that as a theory.
1: Yeah, why not? And and that would explain certainly for those people who claim to have had close encounters and report what look like humanoid um figures. You know, maybe I mean maybe the the human form or something like it is, is something that's favoured by, um, you know, evolution, uh, you know, random genetic mutation, natural selection elsewhere in the universe. But maybe, as you say, maybe um, the, the, the idea that's what we'll evolve into, hundreds of thousands, millions of years in the future. And one thing that I do know is that that you know, we see this in almost everything, almost everything that, that you know, yesterday's science fiction becomes today's science fact. And, yeah. and for anyone who's listening to to your mentioning, for example, Elon Musk and the the neural chips, I mean, and, and is sceptical, we should remember those people. If if they're doubting it, should remember that we already have sort of some fairly basic things, admittedly. But but some people who are paraplegic or quadriplegic are are beginning to be given prosthetics which can be animated. With, with the power of the mind. The mind yeah. and, and people who are paralyzed um, are, are perhaps the first people who are uh, experiencing this, but ultimately uh, the transformation of, of, of uh, humanity, the evolution, and perhaps the fusion of humanity with machines and with technology. I mean, the Ministry of Defense has on its website uh, various think pieces called... Uh, for example, human machine teaming, and and it starts off just about smarter use of technology, but it ev- evolves into some pretty far out concepts.
0: Can I ask you on the
1: MOD website?
0: Can I ask you on on a human on a personal level? Do you are you concerned about any of those developments? I I am. I'm going to put it out there. I've. I've expressed my concern on on the program before. I'm I'm a spiritual guy. I wasn't a few years ago, but I'm becoming more of a spiritual guy, and I'm not thrilled about, you know, the what I see to be a kind of a headlong, kind of a rushing into merging us with with technology. I love technology. I'm no Luddite. You know, by all means, develop technology to where we can use it to to serve our needs but the idea that we would merge with it now again i'm not in any way you know including in that the great examples you gave which are very very helpful you know people who were were not able to walk people who are missing limbs i'm not talking about that but just in general us kind of merging with machines i don't like it nick do you have any concerns about that yourself
1: Yes, I I think there are a range of concerns, some legal, some moral, some ethical. And one obvious concern is uh, a a while ago, this isn't the the program I was talking about, but the Ministry of Defense has another program called Global Strategic Trends, where it tries to look forward about 30 years into the future. And, And one of the sections in the Global Strategic Trends Report has been entitled human augmentation and it said look you know we we start off as as we discussed with the the paraplegics the quadriplegics but but then you start thinking well what about enhancements for healthy people what about eyesight for example at the moment we see in the visual spectrum but what if you could what if you could enhance that and and you could build a a, a device you know whether it's a, a pair of Glasses, or whether it's an implant that would enable you to see not just as we can see now, sort of 2020 vision, but let's let's put in a, a, a you know a, a telescopic capability. Yeah. Let's put in infrared. Um, let's you know let's let's do this and let's do that. Let's uh, and, and and it's a slippery slope. And of course, one of the big problems is that this starts off, as most things do, being a technology for the rich. So you get the sort of haves and the have nots, the the homo sapiens and the homo superior who are the ones who can afford this. So I think there are issues. On the other hand, you know, I don't want to be completely sort of saying that we should stay as we are forever. If there are improvements, that's that's why I think we've got to think long and hard about this. I mean, people like Elon Musk say it might be the one way to defeat a, a robot rebellion, an A.I take over, is to fuse with it. Because yeah. otherwise, I think the, the feeling is, what if you do get AI that's, that's so much brighter than us, that it it regards us with with contempt, but thinks, well, we need to eliminate them before they pull car. The yeah, party?
0: yeah. And, 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 you know, you touched on it briefly there a moment ago. My concern is always about sovereignty and freedom. You know, the freedom to make decisions for myself, you know whether it whether that be a medical decision the freedom as to where i can go and where i can't go but but importantly the freedom to think as i would like to think and I worry about the, the movements towards the, you know, the transhumanist thing it, it always seems to me it, it, it ends up dystopian in my mind anyway, however which way I look at it. Nick, let me just remind our listeners folks, you're listening to uh, an old friend of mine, you know all about him uh, Nick ran the Ministry of Defence's UFO investigation project uh, for several years in the early 1990s, what a fantastic job that uh, must have been for Nick, investigating all sorts of strange uh, phenomena but but UFO alien abductions he's always at least when I've spoken to him when I've read him has always kept an open mind on, on the subjects and he's never come down nothing is black and white with Nick it's shades of grey which I which I like he's contributed to books to TV shows to films he's written six best selling books go to his website which is nickpope.net you'll find uh, his non-fiction books and you'll find his fiction books y- y- you can't do you can't go wrong by ordering open skies closed minds great read that Nick Terrific read. I recommend Thank it. NickPope.net. Nick is our guest. Let's go to the questions, Nick. Yeah, I love it. By the way, there are hundreds of questions coming in through my website, richieallen.co.uk. Ewan says, Richie, I hear what Nick says about not knowing for sure about the UFOs, ETs, etc. But does Nick suspect, it's one of these closed questions, Nick, do you suspect that there are people on this earth who do know Exactly what's going on. That's always a great question. I know you've been asked this a zillion times. You're probably sick of it, but I think it is a great question. Are there people, do we think, who might know? Do you think there might be someone who has a definitive answer to that question? Someone in some position of authority?
1: There may well be, probably in the United States. I mean, I'm never one of these people who's arrogant enough to say, you know, oh, I would have known. I, <laughs> yeah. I know enough about the, the highly classified, deeply compartmentalized world to know that sometimes there could be someone in the very next office doing something related that that I don't have the the quite the same security clearance. So yeah, it, it is it is perfectly possible. I, I mean I I'm never one of these people who says I know more about this than than anyone else. There's probably somebody somewhere whose name we'll maybe never know, whose you know, agency we may never be able to discern who's got a far better handle on it than than I and uh, yeah I, I would I would love to have a, a look through their computer inbox for sure
0: no doubt about it now I as well as speaking to you many times over the years another great recurring guest I never tired of listening to him was Jim Mars who wrote Alien Agenda rest in peace Jim by the way uh, I loved Jim the Texan I don't know what relationship you had with with, with, uh, with uh, Jim, Nick, um, but I, I, enjoy, I always enjoyed speaking with him. And towards the end of his life, Jim used to talk about, and he was very eloquent, Jim, so he used to make a good case. He used to talk about something called predictive programming, which, I, again, I know you've looked into and you've talked about. And Jim believed that the the advent of so many science fiction, television programmes and films, in Jim's opinion, he felt that we were somehow being readied as as a species, as a people, readied, kind of programmed through watching films like the ones we I've just mentioned, to, to be prepared for the inevitability of an encounter or of contact. Again, forgive me, because I know you've been asked these questions before, but many of our listeners maybe won't have heard your answers. Predictive programming readying us for some inevitable meeting with 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 an alien life form, what do you think of that as a theory?
1: Well, I've I've been accused of being part of that program myself. <laughs> this this idea that there's this covert effort to slip references into a whole range of of pop culture uh, to acclimatize people to this. And I I I mean, yeah, I've been involved in consulting on various sci fi movies, TV shows, and video games. But I, with hand on heart, we didn't. We're not doing it. We, we're not doing it to get people ready. I mean, it, I think it's just because it is entertaining. I I thought Jim was great. We we spoke together at many conferences. He yeah. was always very good company. Always you know, a real polymath. He knew such a lot about a, a wide range of things. I don't think he and I really agreed on on this one, but but who knows? Again, maybe that that person that I mentioned sitting in a uh, a dark room in some unknown three-letter agency. Maybe <laughs> that person r- was running that program and not me.
0: That, that's why I loved speaking to you so many years ago. You always leave room for, you know, maybe. I, I like that. Nick Pope is our guest. So if I accept that, that Jim was wrong, and I don't know that Jim was right, I'm very open-minded, that predictive programming isn't a thing, let me ask you this then. With all the films that we've seen, they've been amazing. I mean, I keep going back to Interstellar with Matthew McConaughey because it blows my mind, the possibilities of it. And I keep watching these films. So if it's not some agenda to condition us to be prepared for it, Has it conditioned us to be prepared for it, Nick, in any case? Like, I wonder, what, this is pure, I'm I'm asking you, by the way, if I'm boring you tell me to piss off, Richie. you're asking me stupid questions, I won't be offended. But how do you think, Nick Pope, with all your years of research, your conference, speeches, meeting, I mean, you've met millions of people around the world who've given you their opinions on this. If it did happen, imagine tomorrow morning, you know, someone at the UN General Assembly or someone in Washington Said, look, yes, we we are actually having conversations with an advanced civilization, and we've invited them to come and see us. What do we imagine the public reaction to that might be?
1: Well, you know, it's it's a really interesting one because on the one hand, it would absolutely have an impact on every aspect of society. I, I mean, you pick any any part of our our world, whether it's Politics or religion or science and technology, whatever it is, it's difficult to think that encountering an extraterrestrial civilization, probably with technologies, you know, orders of magnitude above anything we have. It's difficult to think that that wouldn't impact every part of society. And yet, and, and this goes back to your point, and I think it's a really interesting one, about even if this isn't predictive programming, has it nonetheless Acclimatized us to this, and I think the answer is yes. It had, because because I think if you announced it tomorrow that it's true, a lot of people, particularly young people, would say, "Yeah, so," I, and you know, because they are already convinced, <laughs> right. just, you know, they've yeah. they've been living this world where that image of the alien grey with the the you know the huge angled almond shaped eyes and and the disproportionately large head that image has has infiltrated every aspect of our pop culture it's on coffee mugs and t-shirts it's in the club scene it's on you know record covers it's it's on book covers it's it's everywhere and people say why don't you get young people at ufo conferences it's it's like well because they're kind of already almost like not even believe, they almost instinctively, intuitively know that this is
0: true. Is that true, Nick? Is it is it a rare thing to see, you know, the younger social media, smartphone-carrying person coming to the conferences?
1: You see them at the conventions, but not at the, the conferences that model themselves more on an academic right. conference. And I think the reason, as I say, I think it's because because those people are already convinced. They don't need to come and spend a weekend hearing people tell them it's true they
0: well we've lost Nick momentarily there let's see can we get him back nick oh, but, oh yeah we just lost you just for 30 seconds oh. there uh, not oh, even sounds... 30 seconds 10 seconds we lost you for you were just saying about the you know the the youngsters not going to the conferences but they do turn up to other things you were saying
1: yeah they they turn up to the conventions yeah. but not the the conferences modelled on academic um, symposia, and I think as I say, it's it's because because if you go to a conference you're spending two days hearing hearing people say, and oh, this is why UFOs are real. The young
0: people are like, yeah, we know that. We instinctively feel it. So they don't, that's, this is fascinating to me. So because, not, not to be kind of glib about it, but things have been so difficult for people, obviously over the last few years for obvious reasons but even before that I I, I get this image in my head of one of the scenes in Independence Day when people run downtown with the placards to say, you know, welcome. Where where the hell have you been? Basically, you know, things are terrible. It's great to see you. You know, maybe you'll be able to do something uh, for us. This is fascinating stuff. Nick Pope is our guest. Uh, Go to nickpope.net. Um, I'm just going to go back to the comments now because there are thousands coming in on the website here I'm getting some, because I can't ignore them I'm getting some, and you've got very thick skin the usual comments you get from time to time, take the boy out of the Ministry of Defence but uh, you'll never take the Ministry of Defence out of the boy. <laughs> You're just a misinformation <laughs> mogul. That's all you are, Nick. You're a misinformation. Right. <laughs> so, so you get all that. But look, uh, if I didn't mention that we're getting some of those comments, fair enough. But most of them are complimentary and they're asking some, um, some bloody good questions. Uh, let me just get to one here that I saw a moment ago. Nick is in San Jose, by the way. I have mentioned uh, the website already. Uh, let's go, let's go. The, the simulation theory mentioned uh, Rich Tariel earlier on and he kind of blew me away because he's you know a nasa guy and he's famous for discovering certain moons for for Rich to come out and say that he believes the the mathematics is 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 now decipherable that they believe or at least he and others believe that we might be in some sort of simulation that what we perceive to be real and what we perceive to be tangible isn't it's illusory; our consciousnesses are real, and you know I'm definitely speaking to Nick Pope, I know that to, to to be true, but maybe everything else around us isn't um i I know this comes up again all the time, and I know I know you must get fed up with these questions sometimes, but do you know what nick While, while I am becoming more and more spiritual, the, the simulation theory makes in kind of increasing sense to me the more i read about it and the more I think about it. What are your thoughts on it? Are you interested in it?
1: Oh, I'm fascinated by it. And I, I mean, this is literally the idea that we, we may be living in a world where where the Matrix movies are almost like the way it is. And and of course, a lot of this goes back to a, a, a seminal paper from Nick Bostrom, the the philosopher, but what's really interesting, and particularly you, you mentioned the fact that I, I now split my time between Tucson and San Jose. And, and I'm sitting now in an apartment in downtown San Jose, so the heart of Silicon Valley. And of course, it's it's where all the you know, the Bay Area here is where all the, the tech companies and the venture capitalists and they all are. And and one of the fascinating things, I don't know if you've heard this in recent months, it's it's a great story. There's a lot of evidence to suggest it's true. There are at least one of the tech billionaire giants, um, and everyone's been very careful not to name names, but I think people can fill in the, the dots, who are so convinced that simulation theory is true, that they are funding a whole bunch of scientists, A, to prove that it's true. But B, here's the interesting part, to bust out of the simulation, to see what's beyond the simulation.
0: It's got to be Musk, right? You can name him.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to go down that road.
0: Uh, this is, I, I did not know this, and I should, I'm embarrassed I don't know this. So, spending fortunes to try and prove it's real, but but even better, to try and get us out of it. Wow, Nick.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, I've seen some... I've seen some kind of interesting theories to suggest that, that if it's a simulation, when we get to the point where we've figured out it's a simulation, it's, it's almost as if the, the programmers wouldn't care so much and things would start to get a little fuzzy at the edges and we'd maybe detect signs that, that weird things are happening.
0: Just dropped out a second there again, but, Nick. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Right. No, just a, just a momentary drop there, just for a second. Yeah, apologies. Oh, we did, we did we didn't miss anything. You can carry on. It's well, a strange right, the I think,
1: Skype. I think the men in black are obviously, uh, you know, monitoring this. That must maybe, be it. But but I um I, I say when the simulation when when the simulation theory becomes accepted and and then the programmers maybe don't think. That it's that important that every little detail is, it's, oh, they've figured out they're living in a simulation, so it doesn't matter. We can cut a few corners. And weird things start to happen to the Matrix. And I ask you, you know, look back over the last two years, and uh, maybe that's your proof. The Isn't, world's gone mad.
0: The world has gone mad. It sounds very much to me like you... You're pretty sympathetic. Now, again, with your academic head on your shoulders there, you're you're not going to jump in with two feet anywhere. Which I which I've already said that I respect and I do respect it. I try to you know apply that approach myself to to most subjects. But it sounds to me like you're fairly sympathetic to this particular theory.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I can't prove it. I, I don't think at this stage anyone can. But it's I think it's worthy of our time, and uh, I urge everyone to do a little bit of research into simulation theory and particularly these ideas, the, the, the recent story I mentioned that there are there are some people who are currently Amazing working on trying to bust us out of the simulation.
0: Amazing. I asked Rich the, the obvious question. I know there's only two possible, maybe three answers. Who created it? And he said to me at the time, I keep bringing this interview up because I, it was just a fascinating conversation. He said to me, he said, well, Richie, it could be some future version of ourselves. We, we we mentioned future version of ourselves earlier. But he said it could also be some entity, some group, some organisation that wants to keep us from not really fully understanding what we really are. Um, you know, kind of crazy to hear that from a guy working for NASA for years again Those guys get the same criticisms as you get, you know, the same accusations that they're just there to keep it all uh, covered up. You've had this for years, Nick. You don't care. You've got thick skin, I said, already. But amazing that he was prepared to go there because I pointed out to him. I said, you know, I've interviewed people over the years like Jim, like David Icke and, and others. And they would say that, you know, yeah, if the simulation theory is real, it could very well be some sort of, you know, prison structure. You wouldn't rule that out either, I suppose
1: no i i mean there is an idea as you say that that the purpose of the simulation is to to keep us in this little box and and to stop us getting out but you know it's 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 possible to imagine a sort of russian doll scenario with this because you think you think of we mentioned earlier how how quickly our own technology in terms of computer processing power Uh, and, and virtual reality and the metaverse is coming on. Aren't we ourselves almost on the threshold of creating simulated worlds, we see it in our video games, that are so real that just throw in a little bit more AI and we've created our own simulations. So are we going to have a situation where our simulations live out their lives as created us and wonder who the programmers are and the answer to that question is us humans but we ourselves are the product of another kind of life form that's that's created us and 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 so it goes back and and you know you trace it back and and a, a simulated intelligence creates their own simulations and then those simulations get smart and they and and you know and then you go take it back in time. Is there out there an original source? What does it what does it trace back to?
0: I don't know. This is incredibly. It's my. It's kind of whoosh like that's straight over. My head, anyway, just the thought of that. I keep watching Interstellar, by the way, because I just don't understand it. It makes me laugh. I get to the Tesseract bit, and I don't know what's going on. And then I read about Tesseracts online, and I think, oh my God. For listeners who've never seen it, I don't want to give you too many spoilers, but McConaughey goes into deep space because the Earth is undergoing some sort of climate catastrophe to try and find another world to live uh, on. But um, some weird and wonderful things happened to him and his crew uh, later on. And it's all about, in some ways, it's about time not being a linear thing, which is something I've I've always been very interested in, that particular concept. Now, the singularity thing. Look how time is flying. Look, we've got about eight or nine minutes left. I can't believe this. The, uh, the singularity thing. Um, machines becoming self-aware and being able to learn for themselves, which I suppose it's only natural to initially, uh, your first impulse, mine anyway, I suppose my my, my constant impulse is to be very very afraid of that. Maybe I was programmed by the Terminator movies, maybe The Matrix, I don't know, but to be very scared of it. Um, I've heard it said by NASA scientists and others that we shouldn't fear it that ultimately, if machines outgrow us and begin to think for themselves and become super intelligent, that they're likely to leave Earth and go and search out galaxies and, you know, other universes for other signs of of life or or other machines like them. I think that's a very optimistic way of looking at it. I don't see it quite like that. I'm kind of mired in the James Cameron view of machines becoming super intelligent. How do you feel about it?
1: I think it could go either way and it depends on the programming and it depends on the extent to which AI could go beyond its programming and, and you know, what's, what's the upper limit of intelligence and intelligence isn't of course, memory. I mean, it's all sorts of things like, like creativity. I mean, one, one thing that you could say you could program a super advanced machine to do is to create a machine even more advanced than itself. And and it goes on and on. And it raises interesting questions about whether machine intelligence would have a sense of morality or or would simply regard humanity in very logical terms as a potential threat. You you know, something that could pull the plug and, and move against us before we can. And I know that's very Terminator, but I mean, there are other issues like at what, at what point do we start to say, you know, like we're saying for, for the great apes, for example, and some other animals, that they should have rights themselves? At what point does, does a robot get rights? You know, the right to, to life, the right to freedom, uh, those, those sorts of things. Um, Didn't we see that in
0: Saudi Arabia, Nick? Didn't the Saudi Arabians um, accept the, the sovereignty of a robot? Am I just dreaming this? I'm pretty sure I saw something.
1: No I think that's I think that's right with and and these are issues that we're going to have to grapple with yeah. for sure in if if not the next year or two certainly the next 5 or 10 these issues will come up and how can you how can you be sure that a, a machine is self-aware and and sentient or or just whether it's doing a very good job of simulating being self-aware. And if we can't tell, shouldn't we err on the side of giving someone? If the last two years have taught us anything, it should be that we should live, we should err on the side of giving individuals rights, not taking them away.
0: Well said, Nick. I mean, I've, you, you can imagine, you knew the type of show I presented in Spain, you know the sort of guy I am. I've spent the last two years putting genuine doctors and academics, like, you know, credible ones, on the air who have, who would agree with you? You know, don't lock people down. Don't try and coerce them into taking a medical treatment. And I've been doing that because our, our our mainstream media has been basically doing everything that it can to prevent people from hearing these other experts. And that's a, you know, these are very scary times. Thanks very much for, for saying that. David says, if you want to read about aliens, read the Bible. That's an interesting one. Um, Eric Von Daniken has been on this programme, not lately, but has been a couple of times over the years. Nick will know Eric very well. Do you like... Um, you know, that that that, that field of, of, of research, ancient Egypt, the ancient world, the hieroglyphics. Are you satisfied that, that that's a genuine phenomenon? You know, these hieroglyphics that appear to show advanced craft or appear to show ancient astronauts. Have you enjoyed reading that stuff over the years, Nick? How much credence do you give it?
1: Oh, I enjoy reading it. And I've appeared on shows like Ancient Aliens myself. Oh, and yeah. I've met Eric many times. I don't think I would classify myself as an ancient astronaut theorist, but I certainly don't rule out the the possibility that UFOs aren't a modern phenomenon, but have been with us for for millennia. And if that's true, then yeah, I I would expect that to have inspired our ancestors uh, in in terms of of creativity and, and trying to... To maybe recreate and capture what they saw and experienced.
0: Fantastic. I'm going to ask you one final question. Before I do that, though, folks, if you've uh, if you're new to Nick, you won't be listening to this program, but you might be new to Nick. Check his website out. It's nickpope.net. Nick spent several years in the 90s working for the Ministry of Defence, investigating reports of the phenomena we've been describing. Alien encounters, UFOs. Uh, Brilliant guy. He's been on everything over the years, giving his time generously to everybody. Television, radio, lectures all over the world living in San Jose these days uh, spent some time in Tucson as well which he mentioned earlier on and the books are are, are terrific I've read Open Skies, Closed Minds and I do recommend you, you buy it and you read it it's brilliantly written and it's fascinating uh, here's another question you've been asked a million times but I'll ask it anyway when you look back over the last uh, 30 years is there something that you read or some interview you conducted with somebody that you keep going back to, something you just can't shake, you know, uh, an explanation of something or somebody's testimony that you think to yourself, that one has stayed with me?
1: Well, that's a a good question. I I think it's actually, it's going to be the events of the last four years, because, and, and this is a, the whole different topic, but I think literally in the last four years, this subject has moved from fringe to mainstream, and it really all started with those three U.S. Navy videos the chase. and and every, yeah, everything that went with it, whether it's the revelation that, that the Pentagon had this ATIP program uh, looking at UFOs, whether it's the congressional interest that we now have, and literally – People, people may not be aware of this outside the U.S., but into the new defense bill here in the United States, we now have multiple UFO provisions. But if I can go back to one quote, I think it would be one of those F-18 pilots, David Fravor. And his quote was this. He said, I don't know what it was, but I want to fly one.
0: Fantastic. Here's the cheeky question. Go on. Go on. Cheeky question. So Nick Pope is over there in San Jose. He's down to his last ten books. Ten books. And you've got to put it on black or red, Nick. You've got no choice. And you've got to say, right, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there. I think the, the phenomena is a genuine one. We have had visitation from other beings or we haven't. You're not, I know you're not going to answer this, but I'm asking you anyway. So your last tenor, what would you put it on?
1: Oh, I'd put it on aliens on, because Nick. not, not, not because I'm 100% sure, but, but because if you ask me to put down the bet one way or the other, I would always bet on what I hope it to be. Yeah. And I hope it's aliens because I think the world would be more interesting with aliens than without.
0: Well, I, do you know, do you know and, and I mean this because I know you, you, you've put your whole life into this topic. I hope you'll find out, Nick um you know i hope Well, first of all you you have you're you're a young man still you've plenty of years left here i hope you find out definitively it would be nice to find out definitively i would imagine listen thanks Absolutely. for your time wouldn't it wouldn't it be what, what an amazing thing uh, folks it's nick pope dot net uh, nick it's been a pleasure mate it's been too long and i hope if you've got a bit of time sometime in the summer we might do a longer segment we might do uh, an hour or, or or 90 minutes because uh, it's always lovely to speak with you Happy to do that. Thanks, Nick. Look after yourself. Enjoy the rest of your day. Folks, you've been listening to uh, the great Nick Pope. Go to nickpope.net, former Ministry of Defence investigator into alien phenomena. And uh, lovely to catch up with Nick, so it has been today. Uh, The time is seven and, no, it's eight minutes to the top of the hour. I've got time just to read a few comments. Let me go in there. I did mention that some of you have been saying you don't trust him and you don't believe him and he's a cover-up merchant. I did say that Right? There's no censorship here, right? I know that. And he's he's had this for years and others. And of course, I don't know. I've never met Nick, but I like him. I like him a lot. I like speaking with him. And I used to like speaking to him uh, on, you know, late evening radio uh, back in the day. He's a b- very generous guy. Nelly says, um, I believe aliens infiltrated the planet thousands of years ago, manipulated our DNA, took away our power, and made us into slaves. There are two types of folks in the world, says Nelly, us and them. Roger Waters' recent World Tour title. They walk like we do, talk like we do, but they are not one of us. Peter Gabriel lyrics. The psychopathic bankers, the psychotic war-loving world leaders, says Nelly. Thanks for that, Nelly. Isabel says simulation could have been created by machines who wanted to experience what it was like to feel, to understand love, hate, happiness, sadness and fear as a physical experience, not as a concept. Isn't that an interesting theory? The simulation might have been built by machines who wanted to experience feelings. Not just the concept of feelings, but actual physical experiences. Very interesting. Alex says, Oh, for feck's sake, human rights are already deployed by humans to all sorts of ridiculous ends. We don't need robots in on it too. Craig came back to say the machines having a sense of morality is addressed in the remake series of Battlestar Galactica. Thanks for that. Wes Baker, how you doing, Wes? In Alabama there. He says, give me a machine to help deliver a breached calf. (laughs) He's He's a farming boy, you see. It ain't gonna happen, he says. You can't make a machine to do that. Or you can't build a machine to do that. William says the repetition of the same old storylines is a dead giveaway as to the mass programming. Uh, Thanks for that, William. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. Cookie came back to say, I've been saying for the last two years, the world has gone mad. I don't know about the simulation, but the people I know uh, as well, I can't explain what is happening these last few years. Interesting analysis, says uh, Cookie there. Jake says there is an awful lot of guesswork when people do not know. But that's the fun, Jake, isn't it? Isn't it the fun of programs like this? I don't have a clue what's right, what isn't right. I have I have no idea, but I love talking about it. No idea of simulation. If we are living in a holographic universe. But if I had to put my last tenor on something, I would. That's not to say there isn't a creator. I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. Like if you believe in a simulation, you don't believe in a creator. Maybe the creator created a simulation. Maybe the simulation is purgatory, maybe. I don't say that for a laugh either. Maybe we are in purgatory. As a species, maybe. Because we, I don't know, screwed up somewhere along the line. Maybe this is purgatory. Feels like it at the moment. How would you know what purgatory feels like? I don't, but I've read, it. I've read enough about it. And somebody called... Steve has just put a massive big post on there. A massive big post on there. <laughs> uh, which goes on forever and ever, if you want to read that. It's about the it's about disclosure, I think. Dan says, not even God knows that answer, Richie. Thanks, Dan. Chris says, when I saw The Matrix way back, I laughed out loud when the premise was revealed. It's just a metaphor for the mind, says Chris. I know, he says, how's that for absolutism? Listen, don't worry about it. We can be absolutists from time to time, can't we? David does not believe that we are on a spinning ball flying through the galaxy. David is a proponent of the flat earth theory. Thank you, David. Thanks for that. I love the flat flat earth theory. Do I? It's uh, three and a half minutes to the top of the hour. I better hurry the bloody hell up. Leslie came on to say if the aliens arrived, would they have to be (laughs) double-jabbed? That's right. And that's where we'll leave it today. I suspect there are guests booked in tomorrow, but I can't remember. So here's the thing. If I've got guests booked in tomorrow, I will speak to the guests. If I don't, I will do a phone-in, and I will let you know very early tomorrow morning on the website, richieallen.co.uk. Because, of course, you should always check in at least once a day with ritchieallen.co.uk Thanks to Tony Gosling for the back and forth earlier on. Love, Tony. The Politics Show, not the BCFM Politics Show, live from Bristol on Fridays at 5 o'clock, thisweek.org.uk And thanks again to Nick Pope. Go to Nick's website, nickpope.net, what a gent he is. (laughs) And I've been Richie Allen, the BBG. I'm getting fed up of listening to myself. I must have the BBGBs. I had to think. I I thought of that. I spent hours thinking of that. Look after yourselves and one another until tomorrow, Wednesday. Good night.